Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi friends, I am so grateful you're here with us today for the Fully Restored Podcast. Before we jump into my interview with today's guest, I wanted to let you know that today's topic of discussion is a difficult one and a topic that is best listened to away from children's ears. These interviews in this series are powerful, transparent, and real, but also give so much hope for someone who's been abused. Please be mindful of your own triggers and know we are discussing these things to bring them to the light of Jesus and to help women find their own healing and hope. Thanks, friends. And now to my interview. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Gina Fox. Gina is going to share with us today her story of abuse and life difficulties and how she has overcome her past and stepped into a life of freedom. May her story inspire and encourage you today on your own journey of life. Welcome, Gina, to the Fully Restored Podcast. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a joy to have you. Gina, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do in your family? Sure, absolutely. Like Kristen said, my name is Gina Fox. I have been married to my husband for 12 years, going on 13. We've been together for 22. We have three fur babies. We have a Maine Coon named Bandit, Rascal, he's our Beagle Mix, and Hazel, she's the newest member of the family. She's a Basset Hound. And then we also have five crazy nephews who we love very much. They range from nine to 21. I am a nurse by day. I've been in the medical field on and off for approximately 22 years. I love to do ministry. I started a ministry back in May of 2020 during COVID. I was feeling a lot of anxiety. So I really tuned into some things that we'll talk about during this podcast. And God birthed this ministry in me, Anchored by the Sword. The podcast started in March of 2021. So we just celebrated a year on that. And I just love talking to people about their freedom stories and helping to encourage people that God's freedom is for everyone and it's not exclusive or anything. Well, Gina, that is wonderful. All those little fur babies and um, your crazy nephews, as you put them. Love that you have been a nurse for 22 years and 22 years together and almost 13 years of marriage. That's amazing. Gina, let's go ahead and just kind of jump in to your story. Could you share with us your story? You know, take us back to what you went through growing up and in your teen years. Sure, absolutely. My parents remained married until my mom passed away back in 2013. So I know that's sometimes rare, but yeah, they stayed married the whole time. It was me and my brother. And when I was growing up, I was a sick kid. I was an asthmatic. 
I uh, was in and out of the hospital so many times between the time I was born until I was 13 years old to the point when uh, the local children's hospital developed a new wing. They asked me to be one of the first ones to try it out. We'll <laughs> put it that way. So then as I got older, I started playing tennis, which really did help my health. But then when I was 15, I got into a relationship with a guy from my Spanish class who happened to be a senior. I was a sophomore. The relationship very quickly turned into an abusive relationship. He was very controlling, very manipulative. He did not, I don't know what to say besides the fact that it was just a very abusive relationship. It only got physical one time that I remember. And I broke it off and he began to stalk me afterwards. During that time, my next abusive boyfriend had been dating my friend. He saw everything I was going through. He knew he only had to say a few words to me and he would get exactly what I was trying to avoid with the ex-boyfriend. He said those words and he got it. So I lost my virginity when I was 15. And then one night I was 16. We were in a barn and we were all drinking and everything. And I fully expected to be with my boyfriend, but I did not expect what actually happened. I passed out. I don't remember the actual act of rape, but I do remember waking up to both of them putting back on their pants and use condoms on the floor. I thank God that he's kind of put a veil over the actual act for me because I can figure out what happened. I don't need an actual like video to tell me what happened. So then I went through a lot with that. When I turned 16, I started going to church. I met up with a friend who I'm still friends with today. She started taking me to the local church and I became a Christian on June 1st, 1996. That started a whole nother part of my story. And so, you know, you took us through what it was like growing up. Was it a, a good home? Did you feel that real supported there? Um, though That was a good time for you with your family outside of the difficulties of being sick so much at the time. My family, it was, we were close knit, you know, my brother and I, we were a normal brother and sister, like we fought all the time. But then again, if somebody was to pick on one of the two of us, especially him, like I would have thrown down with somebody, but my mom and dad, they had a lot of stuff going on that they tried not to show us. My mom, which we'll get into later, had a lot of mental health problems. And so that really fed into a lot of things that came about more in my teenage years. There was a lot of people thought it was a normal butting the head of a mother and daughter that, you know, seems to happen as the daughter grows up. But this kind of went beyond that. Like she was very jealous, especially when I got into my twenties and started going out on my own, dating my husband, going into nursing, like it progressed throughout the years. And she, she was there for me as a child, but she didn't know how to be that mom because she didn't have the best example either. So they put me into everything. I was in ballet and all of the things. So they were there for me in that aspect. I never wanted for anything. Like in general, they would give us stuff. Like they weren't rich. They weren't poor, but they weren't rich. But they worked really, really hard to make sure my brother and I had what we needed, and also the best possibilities as we were growing up. So that was your growing up years. And then as a, you were a teenager, you got into obviously two abusive relationships. 
and then the the night where you were drinking and passed out and then woke up to that. What did you do the next day? Well, like after that happened, I didn't tell anybody what happened. I didn't talk about it for a really long time. There was shame with that. There was a lot of denial that those things happened. That night I went home to my parents and my parents figured out that I had had sex with my boyfriend. And because he was 18 and I was, I was right around 15, 16, they started threatening to put him in jail. And me being the teenager, oh, I love him so much. Even though he just did this to me, I was like in total whatever mode when it came to that. Like, I just love him. Don't do that. Don't do that. But the next day, I really didn't think about it. Really didn't, you know, I don't know if it was coming out of that, like the drinking or whatever. I just really didn't think about it too much. But the relationship did not last very much longer. Shortly after that, you started going to church. Yes. So Gina, you shared with us about the abuse you experienced. Was your fully restored story connected to you going to church or was that down the road? Well, it started when I started going to church because I was feeling like I was no good, like I deserved bad boyfriends. I deserved people who didn't love me in a partner and in a boyfriend. So when I went to church and started to realize that God loved me and that Jesus died for me and that someone loved me as I was, that was the beginning part of my restoration. Now, I also went to, I went to church for about four or five years. Then we had a church split and I stopped going to church for about 10, 12 years. Fast forward to, I started going back in 2014, continued on my journey. In the beginning part of 2020, I started a course at a local nonprofit and it was all about becoming unbound from sexual sin, from other types of things that kept us bound and shamed and all of the things like relationships. It was a 13 week, very deep course. And there was a lot of work in it. And it happened to be where the majority of it took place during COVID. So nobody was doing anything outside of like working from home and stuff of that nature. So I was really able to focus. And through the weeks, I started becoming more restored. I started becoming more unchained, more free. And then the last, the next to last week, we did a soul tie breaking. And so I sat there for probably about a half hour, 45 minutes or so, and went through every single thing that had happened to me, everything I had done to other people. And I literally went through and just started breaking those chains with God. And that's when I became free. Now, there's still been things that have come up that I've had to get freedom from, things that I confessed later that I had to deal with that and become free in that way. But that part in the journey was my major. I finally am free. I don't have to hold the shame. I don't have to hold the guilt. I don't have to hold these things anymore. God has let me loose from this. And you bring up a really good point about I don't have to hold the shame. I don't have to hold the guilt. And earlier you talked about denial when you didn't tell anybody. And that is a really good point. I just want us to pause on for a second, because for many individuals that experience abuse in general, sexual abuse, and more so in many ways, they do feel shame. They 
feel guilt. They do feel denial. They feel that if I, I could have stopped it, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. You know, there's a graphic that goes around every once in a while on social media places. And it's a graph of a big circle and it has on the side, you know, dressed the wrong way, acted the wrong way, did, you know, did all this stuff. And then it has the offender and that color is the whole circle. But so often we feel like, oh, well, I have a slice of responsibility because I did this, or I have a slice of responsibility because I trusted them, or I have a slice of responsibility when we're taking ownership of somebody else's choices, of what somebody else did to us. And so you talking about freedom, you talking about breaking those soul ties and saying, okay, no longer is this going to be attached because our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. No longer is this going to be attached to me. No longer is the effects of what happened going to impact my day-to-day life anymore. Yeah. And that was, a, it's, it was a hard, hard process to go through. And with that pie chart, I went through the exact same thing where I was like, he pushed me into a locker because I dressed the wrong way, even though I didn't going through all these things, I shouldn't have drank so much. And this wouldn't have happened. You go through those thoughts. And yeah, when you finally step back and let the responsibility lie on who it needs to lie on and break the tie from yourself, it is completely freeing. Yeah. So what impact, you know, I mean, there's obvious impacts that we know about that we're sharing. What impact did going through those two abusive relationships and the rape in your teen years have on you? Well, it caught, like I said, for years, it caused a lot of that shame. But now that that's gone, it causes me to really look at relationships that I see, for instance, like my nephews in. I can see a lot of things, like discern a lot of things that could come down the pike. And so like when I talk to my boys, my nephews, I'm like talking to them in the way of, don't ever do this. Don't make somebody feel this way. And these are amazing boys. Let me just start out with this. They are the best. And I am totally biased and that is okay. But just reminding them like how to treat somebody, how to do this, how did they do that? And also just being able to help like friends when they go through situations for a while, it caused, I don't want to say lamb blasting everybody, but there was a time that it did before I received my full healing. But like I said, now I I just really try to look at situations in general, be there for the people involved and just kind of help them to guide them through different situations. I've also helped out at the place where I received my freedom. I've also volunteered with them, being able to take what I've learned and help other people. I mean, that's been a huge thing for me. Yeah, giving back. So now let's transition because you you alluded to something early on in the conversation. So I want to talk about your relationship with your mom. So how did the issues that you had with your mom affect you before? And then you mentioned she passed away in 2013. So how did that affect you before and after she passed away? Her and I had an estranged relationship. When I got to be 20, she was very manipulative before that, but she was very manipulative. She would get everybody in the family against me for whatever it was I was doing. Like I would feel like I was quote unquote blackballed from the family and I just wouldn't put up with it. I didn't want to be treated that way. 
So I would go for long periods of time without speaking to her. So it got to a point where she had come over. She was very, you know, mean and saying some mean things. And I approached her with love. I said, you know what, mom, I love you, but you need to leave. I didn't realize that was going to be the last time I ever talked to her. That was three years before she passed away. So I didn't have the relationship I always wanted with my mom. She didn't have the relationship she wanted with her mom and her mom didn't either. So it was a generational thing that had happened in addition to the mental illness, but there was a lot of mental illness in that part too. So I never got to have the relationship I wanted with her because I constantly felt like if I didn't do a certain thing or I wasn't a certain way, she would start going off on me and start totally turning everything around. And I was a lot of times the person that she would come at the most because she had this jealousy type thing. She wanted to live vicariously through me, but in an extremely unhealthy way is about the best way I can put it. So I had to deal with the fact that I couldn't have my mom at my wedding. I had to deal with the fact that I couldn't have my mom to talk to when I went through infertility. I had to deal with it. I didn't have my mom to go through all of the things that a woman needs her mom for. But I'm also so grateful that I had my grandmother to be there until she passed away in 2014. So at least I had somebody to help me out. Like I said, it just, that was another thing I had to work through when I had to work through my healing. I had to work through the issues and grieve the losses of the things I didn't have with my mom and grieve the fact that she was gone. Those were all things that I had to work through. And it involved writing an anger letter. We had to do that. We had to do that for numerous things. And then to write a forgiveness letter. So those were things that I had to walk through as well. And I still get sad that I don't have her. I still get angry at her for some of the things that she was doing prior to her death that I did not know about until after her death. So it's still a mixed bag of feelings that comes up. And I'm sure it's going to be like that for, you know, until the day I'm no longer here, but I'm able to function better. And you bring up a a point of in dysfunction in families, although you know, there really is no perfect family. There's just families that sometimes are more healthy, but there is no perfect family. There are issues in families. It doesn't matter social status. It doesn't matter race or nothing matters. You know, families can have issues and we have these expectations of what a mom and dad should be like. And it's really hard when a parent isn't fitting the role of traditionally what a parent should be doing. And then you talked about, you know, some of your mom's own mental health issues. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Well, I don't know. I know she had mental health problems when she was young. And I found out about some of the things as I've gotten older. I know that she never had, there was never a program like there are now where people can walk through and get not just counseling, but healing like I did. They didn't have that stuff back when she was around or it wasn't known to any of us at that point. And I don't honestly know if she would have participated or not. She had had issues with mental health for a long time. She was on a lot of medications, but she also went to a doctor who did not, I guess, would give her the medications as she wanted them. And she was more along the lines of give me the pills. She lived her illness. 
Like we can all, we can say that we have different issues. Like I myself have anxiety and depression issues, but I am not my anxiety and depression issues. She had bipolar, but she was her bipolar because she let that run everything in her life to the point that when she passed away, she literally did not have anybody because she had pushed everybody away. Yeah. And unfortunately for many individuals, and I want to clarify just about bipolar before I go into that. There's two types of bipolar, but there's many different ways that bipolar looks in individuals. And so often that word gets kind of a bad name or just is kind of looked down. But bipolar, um, for some individuals, not everybody, when they're manic, they're angry and they can lash out. And if they're not getting the tools I always think, well, because I'm a counselor, I I think that the combination of medication and counseling are really important, not just to do the medication, um, but bipolar, an individual with a diagnosis of bipolar, the difficult thing about that is sometimes their medications only last for so long and then they have to be adjusted because their mood switches and changes and everything. So sometimes they're more manic, sometimes they're more depressed. And so there's this fine line of managing their, their mood to try to get a baseline. And then, you know, sometimes doctors prescribe medications like I am just not for benzos. I'm not for Xanax. I'm not for any of those. Those are addicting medications. So I don't encourage any of my clients. I don't encourage anybody to get on those. I've had some individuals in very severe, severe cases that the psychiatrist has put them on benzos short-term, and I'm okay with that. But long-term, because those become addicting, because I've also worked with individuals that have been on them long-term, and they're highly addicted to them, and they can't get off of them on top of their mental health issues. And so with that, you know, with the struggles with your mom and with the angry outbursts, that's hard. You know, that's hard in families, you know, sometimes dealing relationally with somebody who has mental health illness. Right. And I know in our family, we had like her dad was a very angry and abusive individual and he was a severe alcoholic. So my mom was, she was never physically abusive. She never carried that part on, but she, she had her moments where I don't, she was angry, but she was also just being manipulative and trying to run my life because she did, she was losing control of everything. And so that was making her frustrated, but she kept on taking the medications and she kept on doing all that stuff, which I myself am not anti-medication by any way, shape or form. I myself am on medication for depression. I've been on Celexa for a long time and I'm fine with that. But to speak to you, what you said about the benzos, like I was on Ativan. I was on Ativan after she passed away in 2013. I was on it until 2021 around my birthday because I had not taken it for two days and I did not like the way my brain was. I did not like the way I was getting angry. I did not like that. So in conjunction with my physician, we weaned me to the point where I'm no longer on it because my brain was addicted to it. And I didn't realize that. Yeah. And then you get the anxiety, more anxiety when you're not taking it. So you think, oh, I have to take it because I have anxiety and that's why they're giving it to me. So it's this ugly cycle. It really is. 
And it took yeah. me two months. It took me a, about two months to get off of it. And, you know, Gina, I've had other individuals come on my show and we've talked about mental health. We've talked about abuse and different things, but we haven't really gone as much into detail about the medication. And so I, I, I appreciate your transparency about talking about benzos. And I didn't even realize that, that you had a history of, of being on benzos on Anavin. I just know that they're highly addicting and, and individuals aren't told when they're started on the medication that this is an addicting medication. Yeah. And at the time when I started taking it, I just know that I was having so many feelings about my mom and about her death. And then there was some things that happened at her funeral. It just was so much. And I was so overwhelmed. And that's why I started taking it. But then I would want to go off of it. But then I would say, well, I'm stressed here. And it's like, wait a minute, there is life stress. And I have, I have had to separate in my own mind for my own mental health. I have had to separate work stress and life stress, work angry and life angry, like, because I've really had, and this has been the last couple of years, especially working from home. I've really had to say, look, I'm work upset. I'm work mad, but I'm not going to take my work mad into my life mad. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not mad at life. I'm mad at work Yeah, (laughs) just to set up my own boundaries. Well, and to recognize, okay, this is stress, but it's manageable. So what are the tools of how I can manage it without medication? Now, I, I, I'm like you. I am not against medication. I work with individuals every day when I do counseling who are on medication. There are some individuals I, I can say almost from the get-go at the severity of how their depression could be uh, recommending that they need to talk to their physician about medication. But then there's also individuals I work with and it's like, you know, okay, let's go ahead and see if you're ready to go off the medicine. So I'm not either or, I'm a very balanced person about that. But there are some real things that can happen. And um, depending on what state you're in, depending on what in Washington state where I was at before we moved to Kentucky, they really cracked down on doctors many years ago. And um, it was only out of rare circumstances could you prescribe a benzo, and it was within only a certain time frame that you were allowed to do it. And I came to Kentucky, and I have to be honest, I was surprised at how many people were being prescribed benzos. That just caused me to say, hey, we need to do education in this state because there's other resources, other ways to help individuals. Now, depression, you know, that's a different type of medication. Bipolar medication, that's a whole different thing. There's other medications for anxiety that you can take as well that are not addicting. But I appreciate your openness to talk about that and um, what that struggle has been like for you. Absolutely, because I think that, and I'm not saying this about churches individually, but I had this conversation recently about this with someone where sometimes I think, and the church is getting better at this. But there are still some lines of thinking that think that you don't have enough Jesus in you if you're taking medication. To me, that that is a very hurtful line of thinking to people who really do need medication because they really do have a chemical or a physical imbalance and telling them they don't have enough Jesus because I'm on medication, but I love Jesus yeah. and I pray and I do all of the things. 
And it's not because I don't love Jesus and I don't pray enough that I have these issues. It's because I physiologically have issues that need medication. Yeah. And the truth is, if somebody has high blood pressure, we don't say you don't have enough faith. Correct. Um, If somebody is diabetic and their body is not producing enough insulin, we don't say you don't have enough faith. And the church has grown in this in the last 10 years or so. I would say actually one of the people that has made probably one of the biggest impacts besides the people on the front lines that work with churches and within churches is Rick Warren and his wife because their son had taken his life and committed suicide. And they became strong advocates about educating the church about mental health. So very grateful for that. So I want to ask you, with your life experience, where God has brought you today, what are just two or three things that you can share with our listeners as they begin or are on their journey of healing? This is something I like every guest to do is just to share what is something that can help that individual. Absolutely. The first thing is you have to have God in it because when you go through the journey of your healing, you need God to be able to stand there and be with you as you go through this, because it is not an easy journey. There is a lot of proverbial crap, I guess you would say, if that's okay, that comes up when you start digging and digging and working through and all of the things and breaking soul ties. There's a lot of things that come up. So you need God in that. The other thing you need is to really look at every single thing that comes up. And if there's something that comes up that you in fact had a part of. Been through some difficult times in your life. Our God is a restorative God. Our God is a redeeming God. And there is hope for you. And remember friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus. Because it was broken. The other thing is have an amazing support system with your spouse. And if your spouse doesn't completely understand, like he loves you and he's glad you're going through this journey, but he doesn't understand or he or she, I should say, then have a group of friends, have your, the rest of your family, have people that are in your corner, sitting there cheering you on, who are there to listen to you as you're going through this journey, who are there to lift you up and out, not to pull you in and down because That is one of the things that really, really, really got me through and just keep digging in, digging in, digging into God's word, digging into healing scriptures, digging into scriptures that remind you of who you are, who he created you to be and what he created you to do, because he did not create you to live in bondage. He did not create you to live in those chains for the rest of your life. He has big plans for you. He is able to do more than you can ever think or even anything you could think of. He is there to do it for you. And it's not just financially, it's not just all that, but he has so much more planned for you. He does not want you to live in that bondage anymore. So give it over to him, repent of what you need to repent of and live the life he has for you. Well, Gina, I have loved talking with you today. And in the last minute that we have here, how can people connect with you online? Absolutely. On Facebook, I'm under Gina Fox. I also have the Anchored by the Sword page on Facebook as well. On Instagram, I have my own page, but I mainly live at Anchored by the Sword podcast. And also the website is www.anchoredbythesword.org. So come find me, come hang out. 
And you can also find the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Well, thank you, Gina, for joining us today. Our show notes and all the links shared with us can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. And I would so appreciate it if you would leave a rating as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. I want to stay connected with you. So be sure to find me on Instagram and my Facebook page. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I pray that this episode of the Fully Restored podcast ministered to you, encouraged you, that you're walking away with some new tools, some new perspective, and just some hope that even if you have been through some difficult times in your life, our God is a restorative God. Our God is a redeeming God, and there is hope for you. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.